Good morning once again. Please open your Bibles, as I can see most of you are doing, to uh, the book of Titus and to chapter 2. In this wonderful chapter, uh, the first half gives such a rich picture of what a saved life looks like. The Apostle Paul was just is outlaying the standards of godliness that are the result uh, of the Holy Spirit's work in a sinner's life. These are the means uh, through which a person is made right. Uh, sorry, these are not, let's be clear about that, these are not the means uh, through which a person is made right with God. Uh, these are the fruit of a life that has been saved by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this order of grace, uh, then salvation, then works is developed several times throughout this letter. Uh, if we look down to Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 to 12, and we see one instance of this when Paul declares, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Here we see that grace precedes a salvation and salvation precedes good works. Now we'll look at this passage in, in more depth when we get to it in future weeks, but we must say immediately that this in no way is teaching universalism, the idea that all people will be saved. It's simply uh, affirming that no one group of people is barred from the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anyone from any sphere of life who believes in him will be saved. And this salvation is by the grace of God and then leads to the producing of godly behaviour, behaviour that reflects a new devotion to God. This makes sense when we recognise that throughout verses 2 to 10, Paul is discussing various groups of people and explaining that the same grace which enables those in one group enables those in the other. Well, last week we looked at the standard of godliness for older men in verse 2. Uh, but amazingly, Paul doesn't simply concentrate on the older men. He then goes on to address the standards of godliness for older women. He insists that older women have a responsibility before God just as much as their male counterparts. And this shows the incredible value that women have in the kingdom of God. In Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, we read these words of Paul. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so here Paul shows the equality in salvation and blessing that men and women have in Christ Jesus. Even though elsewhere 
Uh, the scriptures affirm a divinely ordained functional difference in roles and tasks that men and women have been given in the home and in the church. This in no way establishes a priority of one sex over the other. A different function does not mean a lesser value. And so here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, the fact that Paul lays out clear standards for older women, older godly women to be following, is affirmation of their equal value. Now, as it was for the men last week, so now for the ladies, the the words that the Holy Spirit enabled Paul to write are not culturally acceptable. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit enable you to hear what he has to say in his word and strengthen you to grow in godliness to please God in all that you do. To the rest of the congregation, as we go through these specific addresses week by week, it's not a matter of tuning in or perhaps tuning out when Paul addresses the group that you fit into. But as this section is about godliness in the whole church, it's essential that we understand not only what we are called to be, but what others are called to be. This way, we, we not only have in our own minds an, an overall picture of, of how the church is to live, but we could be praying that the Holy Spirit would help develop these traits in ourselves and in others for the glory of God. So then, what does Paul say for older women in verse 3. Well, let's read verses 1 to 5 to get the context. So Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 says this. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. We'll come to verses 4 and 5 in future weeks, but our focus today is on verse 3. And so the first godly standard for older women is that they are to be reverent in behaviour. Last week I mentioned that when Paul speaks of older men and older women, he is generally speaking about those around the age of 60. Uh, This is given more grounding when we read uh, at the beginning of 1 Timothy 5 verse 9. He says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. So he is a clear age marker for what Paul's speaking about. Of course, it is a wise woman who, who does not wait until her 60th birthday before she starts behaving reverently. Uh, to put off striving for reverence is certainly not the mindset of a godly woman at any age. The word translated in Titus 2 verse 3 as reverent is not only used here in the New Testament. In the original language, the word consists of two parts. Uh, The first essentially means temple. 
And the second means what is fitting. Uh, it's the same as uh, what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 1, where he tells Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine. That is, teach what is fitting or suitable or aligned with sound doctrine. So now in verse 3, he says that older women are to live in a way that is fitting to ministering in a temple. In other words, they are to exhibit a manner that acknowledges they belong to God and live their lives before him and in honour of him. And it's not out of fear either. Now, sometimes when we see the word reverence in scripture, it does have that sense of fear and of awe as it relates to the way that we are to act before God. The writer of Hebrews declares in chapter 12, verse 28, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. While God is intimately involved in a believer's life, we are never to forget that he is also infinitely transcendent and holy in our Worship of him is to be carried out with reverence and awe. But in Titus 2 verse 3, the focus is not on living with a sense of awe, but rather a sense of appropriateness. Those who say they belong to God should behave as if they belong to God. And moreover, in this context, the desire to behave appropriately is not out of fear of God, but out of a desire to please him. That's what godliness is all about, isn't it? Godliness being a devotion to God that results in a life that's pleasing to him. It's the result of experience God, experiencing God's saving love and knowing his grace. The woman who knows the gracious work of God to bring her to salvation in Jesus Christ is the woman who seeks to please God in the way she lives from that moment on. The command for reverence is linked specifically uh, to behaviour, but it is not uh, simply outward compliance. Paul is not saying that as long as the older women are keeping up appearances, then they are fulfilling what is appropriate for a woman of God. At no other place in scripture do we see that kind of thing promoted in a positive light, and neither do we so here. The word translated as behaviour refers to the outward expression of inward character. The action stems from the attitude. As we've reiterated over and over throughout the study on Titus, Godliness is the result of saving faith, the result of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit who then begins to produce his fruit in the believer's life. The church is not about calling people to live moral lives, but to be saved from their immorality and sin through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Many even sit in the pews of churches throughout the world and have not understood this for themselves. They are concerned about doing what is considered right, but they have not addressed the greatest issue of the sinfulness of their own hearts 
They've not called upon God's mercy and, and asked for his forgiveness through Christ. But unless this first happens, no amount of good works will have any lasting value. For these people, they do need to have the fear of the Lord. They do need to understand that that God will judge them and condemn them for their sin unless they repent and come to Jesus, the only Saviour. Only then can one desire to live appropriately before God. And so if that is you here today, I urge you to now come to the Saviour. Stop relying on your own goodness. Recognise your own sinfulness and trust in the goodness of Christ. Only then can one desire to live appropriately before God. So for the older godly woman, what does reverent behaviour look like? Well, 1 Timothy 2 gives us some valuable insights. In the context of the worship service... In verses 9 and 10, Paul writes that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness and with good works. Paul explains that women should be more concerned with godliness than gaudiness, holiness, not haughtiness, decency, not decadence. In verse 11, he continues, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. There is a a concern to conduct herself in a manner that honours the divine design for how worship is to be carried out in the church. That while men and women are equal in dignity before God, nonetheless, God has ordained different tasks and roles for them in the church. And then in verse 15, he finishes... Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And so a reverent woman conducts herself in a manner that honours the divine design for men and women in the family. She cherishes the role that God has given to her to have a primary focus on the home. She carries out her God-given responsibilities in a way that reflects her trust in God and her love for Him and to those uh, she has been blessed to serve in every sphere of her life. So older women are to be an example of holiness uh, to those in the church and to those in the world. In the Cretan culture that Titus was ministering, the, the women who acted in such a way would stand out like a beacon And what was true in that society is no doubt extremely relevant for us today. And is that not what Jesus makes plain for every believer? Matthew 5 verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And what is true for all believers is especially so for older women. And so older women are to be reverent in behaviour. Now this positive aspect is then fleshed out with two negative aspects. Uh, Doing this means not doing this and this. 
And so the second godly standard for older women is they are not to be slanderers. The New American Standard Bible translates it as malicious gossips. And it refers to to one who makes false accusations. Now there are several reasons for the necessity of this standard of godliness. First, while men and women uh, can just as easily cause both physical and verbal damage to other people, uh, the continuing differences between the two genders are, are seen in that men tend to act out physically. I say tend. Tend to act out physically and women tend to act out verbally. That's why in 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, Paul writes, I desire then that in every place uh, the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. The men are the lead in the worship service, but Paul hits right at their main susceptibility, anger. This, of course, is is different to what we've just seen him spell out uh, for the women. And it really is ridiculous to deny that men and women are different because it comes out in so many ways, even in the sins that we are more likely to fall into. So second, old age slowly brings limitations. You, You can't do what you used to be able to do. And while this can bring about frustration, it can also bring about boredom. Uh, And so Paul's words are a warning to older women not to fill up their days uh, with gossip in order to entertain themselves and pass the time. Third, as we'll speak about later today, older women are to have an active role in training and encouraging younger women. But as they invest themselves in another's life, there can be the temptation to share details that they have learned about someone with everyone else. And so what begins is a desire to care for others, if not vigilant, uh, can descend into a desire to pry into other people's lives, to find some juicy news and spread it around. This is why the same command is laid out for female deacons in 1 Timothy 3 verse 11. Uh, Serving as a deacon is a task that enables a person uh, access to the lives of others. And so Paul is clear in warning uh, not to use the privilege and the responsibility uh, of helping others uh, to spread information around the church and beyond regarding those who've opened their homes to receive help. Now, if we look more deeply into the word slanderer, we see that it stems from the Greek word diabolos. Now, if that word sounds familiar, it's because it is commonly used in the New Testament to refer to the devil. The devil was also known as Satan, which is a Hebrew word meaning adversary. His character is best summed up by Jesus when Jesus was in a heated discussion with the Jews. In John chapter 8, the Jews were refusing to uh, believe in Jesus. And so in verse 44, in response to the Jews' comments that, that they were Abraham's children, Jesus enlightened them of their true heritage. And he said this in verse 44, You 
are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now that's pretty blunt. Jesus declared that because they did not believe in him, they were in fact children of the devil. Now for our purposes, what is the devil like? He is the father of lies. He is the slanderer from which all slanderers come. So are we starting to to see now the importance of Paul's command in Titus 2 for older women not to be slanderers? Because if they partake in this action, they are acting like the devil. Jesus makes this connection with Judas in in John chapter 6, verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? One of you is a, a liar, a slanderer, one who cannot be trusted, one who will betray my confidence. This kind of action is to have no place whatsoever within God's community. There is to be no slandering or malicious gossip. The Bible is emphatic about this. Proverbs 16 verse 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 20 verse 19 Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Stay away from those who gossip. In Mark 7, verse 22, Jesus gives a list of the sins that stem from the heart of man, and among them is slander. Think about the way James addresses this matter. In chapter 3, he speaks about the power of the tongue. Verses 4 to 6, we read this. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. We must be diligent and disciplined in the use of our words. And throughout the rest of this chapter and then into the beginning of of chapter 4, James continues to address the issues that can happen in the household of God if we are not careful to edify one another, to build up our fellow brothers and sisters. But he delivers one simple command at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 11, which serves as a wonderful summary to all that's come before. And what is that command? It is this. Do not speak evil against one another. That's pretty straightforward. Here is a command that the entire church must follow. Do not speak evil against one another another. But as we've seen, it's something that should be emulated most especially in older women. So older women are not to be slanderers. 
The third godly standard then for older women is they are not to be slaves to much wine. Here we move from controlling what goes out of the mouth to controlling what goes into the mouth. To be enslaved is to be in bondage, to be controlled. Well, later in this chapter, Paul addresses the godly standards for bond servants, that is, slaves, someone who is under the control of another. We can clearly see the destructive consequences that arise from alcohol having control over one's life. We, we see this in the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 9, Noah planted a vineyard and he got drunk and he fell asleep without covering himself up properly, which led to his son Ham to sin by, by gloating over seeing the indignity of his father. Now that's not to take any responsibility away from, from Ham, but that wouldn't have happened if Noah had remained sober. Just a few chapters later in Genesis 19, Lot's daughters got him drunk on consecutive nights so that they could lie with him and conceive children. I don't think any more comment needs to be made about that, really. These are just two biblical examples of the consequences that come from drunkenness. If we think in terms of our own culture, we see this almost every day. Uh, the harmful effects of drunkenness. For instance, in in recent years, we have seen uh, alcohol interlock systems in, installed in cars for those who've, who've gotten their driver's licence uh, back after committing drink-driving offences. These devices are essentially a breath test machine hooked up to the ignition system of the car. And a person must blow into it, uh, and if it defects detects a certain level of alcohol, it will immobilise the car. And the necessity of of pouring money into the development of this technology and its implementation is seen in the damage uh, that intoxication has on society, let alone the widespread nature of it. But even greater than it being a societal offence, it is a divine offence. And as Christians, we know that our ultimate judge is the righteous God himself. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul lists drunkards right alongside other sinners, such as the sexually immoral and thieves, as those who would not enter the kingdom of God if they continue in these practices. Drunkenness is sinful as it hinders a person's clarity of thought which then leads to further sin. Hence we see the clear teaching in Ephesians 5 verse 18, where Paul states, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now why would this need to be addressed specifically for older women? Obviously that's a problem that all generations face. Why older women? Well, I think there are two reasons. First, uh, Again, the limitations that old age can bring. So just as older women are are not to fill up their days with gossip, they're also to be careful. They don't fill up their days with drinking. The, The restrictions that sometimes come with old age bring about other temptations if one is not disciplined and discerning. Second, the the God-ordained task of focusing on the home meant that older women had constant access to food and drink 
And if they let their guard down, they may be tempted uh, to indulge. While Paul is specifically addressing alcohol, we might simply add here that it's important that older women, just as for everyone in the church, not let anything enslave us. Romans 6 verse 2, Paul says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? We've died to sin. Sin has no power and authority over us anymore. Why would we keep going back to it and giving it that authority? And so we need to be vigilant. Think about the things that you are doing. And if anything is having a guiding influence other than Christ, get rid of it. If anything is taking up your time that is not honouring to God, stop doing it. If anything is leading you away from godliness and faithfulness, have nothing to do with it any longer. God is to have the control over our lives and nothing else. In the opening verse of chapter 1, Paul described himself as a servant of God, that is, a slave of God. But in that sense, God's control over Paul's life is truly a blessed thing. And it's the same for every believer. Christ Jesus is Lord, so we must submit to him and not to anything else. And so older women are to be are not to be slaves to much wine or anything else. And this leads us to the final godly standard for older women, which is they are to teach what is good. So how are we to understand their teaching role? Well, older women are are commanded to pass on their wisdom to the younger women in the church. They are to help them grow in godliness and faithfulness as women who have been taught by the generation before them. Now, Paul is not establishing a command for older women to be busybodies, giving them permission to forcefully pry themselves into someone else's life, or to give advice where advice is neither asked for or wanted. One time when we were living back in Adelaide, Crystal was just playing in the front yard with our son Luke and an older woman, a, a woman Crystal had never met before, She was just out for a walk and stopped in front of Crystal and asked rather pointedly why Luke was not in school. Crystal gently replied, because he's two years old. That's why. Paul is not an advocate for meddling, but he is an advocate for mentoring. He is showing that godliness in older women is displayed in the way they seek to care for and build up the generations below them. The purpose of of teaching what is good is to train the younger women. The word translated as train is similar to that used in verse 2 regarding older men being self-control, sensible. So the teaching of the older women is to help the younger women develop a sensible outlook, to help them live with a God-defined balance. And of course, all the things that are listed in verses 4 to 5 are important aspects of sound living for young women. Several of those 
things that stand out in direct contrast to what our culture would define as necessary for women to live a blessed life. But just think what Paul is saying here. He is saying that these things are what God has said will lead to a balanced life. So what happens if we ignore them? or refute them, or try and have those things plus what the world says. This is not going to lead to harmony, but it's only going to lead to chaos. But I'll save any more comment about verses 4 and 5 till next time we meet. Now this command to teach what is good is a wonderful validation of the task that God has given women. Paul is setting out one of the ways in which God has designed women to bless the church. Now, God has expressed clearly in his word that women are not to teach and have authority over men, but to focus solely on the passages that restrict some aspects of ministry for women is to the detriment of the entire congregation. We must recognize the vital role that women are to play in the church. And there is enormous scope for women to faithfully serve Christ. When people ask, what do you think about women in ministry? Our answer should be resoundingly positive. To focus exclusively on the the restrictions and not talk about uh, the uh, many and varied opportunities is to fall into the same temptation that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. It's to say, why not this one fruit? Rather than, my goodness, look at all the fruit. Now, the glorious fruit that takes focus here in Titus 2 is the way that older women are to teach younger women. As they live godly lives, it enables them to train others to live godly lives. Elsewhere, we're told that women are also to teach children. Paul's mention of childbearing in 1 Timothy 2.15 certainly encompasses this. For the woman is blessed to raise up godly children. Older women may now have an empty nest at home, uh, but they certainly have many other spiritual daughters uh, whom they can and must be a true example of godliness for and in whom they must invest themselves to train in godliness. We must not miss what Paul is emphasising here. And that is the enormous influence that godly older women are to have on younger women. And indeed the girls in our midst as well. In fact, the older women are to take this seriously. Because notice that the emphasis is not on Titus or on the elders teaching the younger women about godliness. No, the the emphasis is on the older women teaching this through both example and exhortation. What's interesting is that earlier we addressed some of the pitfalls of of old age, the, the temptations that can arise because of limitations such as frustration or, or even boredom. But what we see here in this last standard of godliness is that older women have an incredible purpose in God's household. They have been given by the apostle through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, such an amazing privilege and responsibility of service. In God's household, no one, 
really should be able to say that their lives are boring or that they have no purpose or function. In one sense, the older we get, the more opportunity we have to serve God. Because as we look around in the church, the amount of people who are younger than us continues to grow. As I draw to a close, let me just place before you three challenges. And the first challenge is to the whole church. May we remember the extraordinary importance God has placed on the role of older women in the church. And may we be praying for them to diligently serve God and asking that he enable them to display the godliness he seeks in their lives. It will be to the benefit of us all that we do so. The second is to the younger women. May you recognise that others have gone before you. Older women have walked similar steps to you before. They have uh, traversed the difficulties of, of seeking to be a godly example in this world and seeking to, to love and care for their husbands and their children. I encourage you to make sure you are seeking to build relationships with those older than you. Uh, allow them to share their wisdom. Allow them to speak into your lives. It will be to your benefit that you do so. And the last challenge is to the older women. May you understand what God is setting down before you, what he expects of your life. May you know that he who expects also enables you by his grace. May you see the value of your position in the church and may you seek to serve him until your very last breath. I once knew a godly woman called Norma Hosking and uh, she is now with the Lord. But when I met her, she was in her 90s and uh, from illness, she was both balding and mostly blinded and she could only move at a shuffle. And she came to live in a nursing care facility for ex-nurses where there was only a small number of residents in the building. But while that may have caused her uh, frustration, she chose to see it as God's appointment. For her view was that these people could not go anywhere either. And so they had to listen to her speak about Jesus. And she took every chance she could with the residents she took every chance she could with the nursing staff, several of whom were, were young and from overseas uh, countries. She spoke with them. She listened to them. She prayed for them. She cared for them. She lived as an example to them. I will never forget Norma Hosking. He was a woman who displayed the standards of godliness for older women till her very last breath. And so may we all recognise the value and the impact that God brings about through the older women in the church. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you once again that we can sit under your word, that we can learn your truth, that we can learn about the way you call us to live that will honour you. Father, we pray for our church. We thank you for the many 
godly older women who have been stalwart members of our fellowship for so many years and the blessings that they have, have brought into this place through their continued service and their example to you, to others. Father, we pray for them that you would continue to strengthen them, guide them, lead them. Father, we pray that you would help them to be prayerful about uh, uh, people in the congregation, particularly the younger women in our midst, whom they can uh, pray for, encourage, get alongside and uplift uh, for your glory. Father, as we continue to work our way through uh, these standards of godliness in your household, we ask that each week you would help us to uh, be encouraged as we, we see the bigger picture of, of what you call each one of us uh, to live for. And we also pray that um, when it comes to our turn, you would uh, soften our hearts and our minds to accept uh, what you have revealed to us. And Father, once again, we thank you that the call for godliness comes about because you have already uh, brought your regenerating grace into our lives. You have brought us already solely by your work through Christ into your household. And these standards for living are for those who have already been brought into your home. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that we would do such a thing. We pray as a congregation that we will continue to live godly lives and example to each one of us in the congregation and to this world around And by our love for each other, may the world know that we belong to you. Amen.